Hello, this is Leslie Grafford Tenser, and this is Law to Fact. Today I'm speaking with Professor Maybell Romero about what law school is going to look like post pandemic. In this conversation, I speak with Maybell Romero, Associate Professor of Law at the Northern Illinois College of Law, about what law school learning will be like in a post-pandemic world. For those of you unfamiliar with law school pedagogy, law school classrooms have pretty much looked the same since the late 1800s when Professor Christopher Columbus Langdell perfected the Socratic method. But as Professor Romero notes, the pandemic has forced us to rethink too heavy a reliance on the Socratic method and the idea of one final and in some instances a midterm at the end of the semester. In our discussion, Professor Romero notes that the pandemic and our movement to Zoom classes has yielded some benefits to law school learning. Her comments are positive and refreshing and a breath of fresh air that we could all use right now and for the future as we hopefully quickly get back to the classroom. Here's my discussion with Professor Romero. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to have you. And um, I know that you are deeply steeped in pedagogy and legal learning. And I thought you'd be the perfect person to talk to about what we think law school will look like post-pandemic. So I guess that's more of a macro question, but I'll start off with like the big design. What are you thinking? What do you what do you think will look like? it's going to be really an interesting shift, I think, back to the classroom, because I think a number of us have, you know, as law professors, um, we really started to adapt ourselves pretty well to teaching online and realizing that this is sort of a, not necessarily a pandemic that's going to resolve itself in, you know, a few months like we all thought thought it would be. Um, I remember when we went um, online entirely at Northern Illinois University College of Law back in March and we thought, okay, maybe this will be two months, three months, and then we'll see each other back in the fall. And it became very clear soon afterward that, no, this is going to be something a bit more long lasting. So I think everyone who's gone online has sort of made this internal switch in their heads that, okay, we're doing this for a little bit of a long haul. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's going to be a little bit of a shift going back and it won't be quite it won't feel quite as seamless to us doing it, I think. Um, I, I feel like I'm all, almost going to need some transition back to getting some practice doing that. Um, but I think that a lot of us have learned a good number of tools, um, given that we've had to you know, teach online and trying to figure out how to go about engaging our students that we're going to be a lot more comfortable with um, when we're back in the classroom face-to-face. And you know, a number of us, I think, have you know, relied on, you know, this sort of traditional um, sort of approach um, when it comes to teaching the law and using this Socratic method. Of course, it's, you know, infamous or famous, depending on who you talk to. But I think a number of us have realized that maybe that's not the best way to go about doing that. Mm -hmm. And it'll be really fascinating to see, you know, sort of the individual sort of approaches to that that are going to vary, I think, even more than they did before um, the pandemic. Um, It's interesting also just to see sort of the admissions numbers happening right now with regard to what the student population is going to look like um, coming back into law school. And I think um, it's been interesting for me, at least at my law school, seeing that our numbers right now are are up. Um, Way up. I think is really fascinating because I think a number of people were predicting that they were, that, you know, across the board, they would tank and that lots of schools would be um, struggling with filling, you know, filling Mm -hmm. their classes and everything. And we've actually had a pretty good time of it. Um, So I'm actually wondering if perhaps once 
um, you know, jobs back up again and everything, maybe um, it will actually be um, harder to get quite as large of classes because there might not be um, sort of that pressure to figure out what to do in the meantime during the pandemic when there aren't as many jobs and everything. So that right. might be sort of an interesting um, struggle, at least I think at some places with regard to um, the change um, during the pandemic versus post pandemic. Um, it'll be also interesting to see, you know, even apart from, um, you know, sort of the pedagogical issues, just what happens with, uh, I think, faculty hiring as well, in that it'll be fascinating to see whether we go back to using sort of this um, standardized schedule like we did before the pandemic, or whether we're going to start seeing schools sort of doing their own unstructured hiring process, the sort, the sort that they've actually adopted during this hiring cycle as well. So I think that there are a number of big changes I think we're going to see because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily think that everything's going to go back to exactly the way it was before. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I want to pick up on two things that you spoke to. One is this idea of teaching in the Socratic method. And after that, I'd like to get to the hiring discussion. But first for the Socratic method, one of the things pre-pandemic that I feel that we struggled with was the tension between the Socratic method and just giving the rules. Because there was this idea that the purpose of law school was to think like a lawyer. And if you just gave the rules, then you were just kind of giving students things to memorize. And especially when the bar came along, they weren't going to be able to reason, the, uh, you know, do the rule-based reasoning. Mm -hmm. And so one, and, 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 and I'll just speak for myself that when I teach online, it's hard for me to be completely Socratic. And I kind of pride myself on Socratic method. I'm a little older than you and I've been doing it a little longer. Um, I wonder if you have some thoughts because I think to, to, you know, your generation of teaching as to what is the best deliverable, what's the tension between memorizing like an Emmanuel's and doing the Socratic method and teaching this rule-based reasoning? So, you know, it, it, it's interesting because we have to figure out, you know, one of the most important things that we need to do is figure out, okay, how exactly are we going to prepare our students when it comes to rule-based reasoning? And especially, you know, actually learning to memorize some of this stuff and becoming much more, much more, um, how would you say, um, fluent in some of this language, um, you know, through more memorization and, and the like. And I still think that that's a very important tool. Um, and I think, you know, there are ways to get around sort of, I'll, I'll admit, you know, my, my first semester, at least partial semester of teaching online, I tried to use just the old sort of Socratic method way Me of too. teaching yeah. where it's like, okay, I'm just <laughs> going to ask questions and right. call on people. And it was just really so much more difficult um, to try to keep my students engaged that way when there just wasn't the face-to-face -face presence. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do when it comes to trying to get them to learn these rules, but also um, you know, trying to figure out how to adapt to this new online format. So I think um, even trying to um, try new tools like using breakout rooms, I found really helpful. Um, having a lot more in the way of written assessments that, you know, let's take a break and have you write something real quick for me mm -hmm. um, has been incredibly helpful. And in that sense, I feel like my students have actually had the chance to have more practice writing Mm -hmm. um, sort of on the spot, which, you know, sometimes I'll have students who, who ask me, well, how realistic is this that I actually need to just drop everything and write something on the spot? Surprised! <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know get, get ready for when you go into practice and you have like a partner or, you know, the judge that you're clerking for telling you, hey, I need you to write up this memo in like an hour or two um, right. that answers a very pointed question. Um, this is actually a lot more realistic than you think. And, 
you know, it's been nice being able to use those sorts of assessment tools that are, I feel like, a little more easy to administer online versus mm-hmm. in um, and that has been actually a really nice way of managing that and really trying to get the entire um, audience of students a bit more engaged, given that it's a lot harder to do that um, using the old sort of Socratic method um, when you're not face to face. I still do ask pointed questions to my students and ask mm-hmm. them, you know, a series of questions and might focus on, an, you know, one particular student and what they have to say, um, you know, for just like you would before. Um, but I use a mix of tools now rather than just relying on that as I did before. So that's really interesting because again, as I said, like one of the problems, and I think this is the reason the ABA was never willing to approve a lot of online credits mm-hmm. was this idea that you had to learn how to think like a lawyer. I always say to my students that, you know, I'm their personal trainer of the mind and exactly. you know, Michelle Obama did not go th- get those fabulous arms overnight. You have to like keep practicing and practicing. Yeah. Um, but what you say, which is really true, is that what this pandemic has done is shaken it up in a way to avail ourselves of skill-based experience. Mm-hmm. And I love what you just said, this idea that a partner's gonna come into your office. You know, you don't have 22 days to write an appellate brief. A partner's gonna come in and I want this right away. And so I think to your point that one of the post-pandemic experiences will be returning or keeping, I shouldn't say returning, when we return to the classroom is what I meant to say, keeping this idea of some skills in the classroom. Exactly, and, and it's been, I think, a really incredible way to get more students involved and more students engaged. You might- or having to interface in sort of a, at least semi-confrontational occasionally, yeah. um, sort of setting such that you'd see in, you know, greater use of the, you know, sort of traditional Socratic method. Um, because, you know, there are some students who perhaps don't expect to be in a courtroom or don't expect to, you know, even ever litigate or anything like that, which, right. I, I mean, I'll be honest, you know, is far outside my own experience as a county prosecutor. So I was just in court all day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I have to remember that it's like, okay, that's not everyone's expected practice when they come out of school. And it's always good to, um, you know, perhaps stress other skills as well, like, you know, writing, perhaps doing some research, um, you know, perhaps um, even taking some time to assign some materials asynchronously such that they can absorb and synthesize things on their own, um, rather than just sort of doing the rote, hey, tell me the facts and everything and let's go through this sort of exercise. So that's the other thing that I was going to, that's the other thing that I was going to say to you, um, is this idea of the breakout rooms and the different modalities, but but really the breakout rooms, I'm finding, and I don't know if you would agree, that students are more likely to participate in the compute in the um, Zoom room than necessarily in the classroom, that they feel a little less vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I will say as a professor is that I love the breakout rooms. Like that's how I got to know my students was in the breakout rooms because you know when when I did breakouts in a classroom. Um, I had to go from this table to that table, to this room, to that room. And here in the breakout rooms, you just pop your head in and you can kind of check in on students. Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting thinking about how much easier that is online versus in an actual physical space. Um, because honestly, my lecture, my largest lecture halls aren't that big. They're not exactly the easiest to move around and everything. So, you know, I tried doing stuff like that in person. And it was always honestly, kind of a hassle. Right. Um, so right. th- this has been a really nice change. And I, I think it, it feels a lot more in some ways, like you said, um, you know, for students who might otherwise feel a bit more vulnerable, they feel a lot more at, at ease in this sort of um, format. And 
you know, even touching on something else when it comes to students who, you know, might feel a bit more un uncomfortable um, in an in-person format and everything. I found that I have a lot more students who come to office hours now. Yes. Um, online versus in person. I have a, I have a theory. <laughs> I have a theory about that. I mean, I don't know. But my theory is that, especially during the height of the pandemic, that um, students had nothing else to do. Like after class, you know, I always have podium time, I say in quotes, and so I'd hang out and like everyone just hung because what else are you going to do, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but anyway, that's kind of my theory. I don't know. It's probably a little bit of a uh, cynical theory, but it is my theory nonetheless. Yeah, and it's interesting. And I, you know, it might be that there is not as much to do, frankly, <laughs> but I assume that students otherwise still have better people to socialize with than me, <laughs> you know? No, no. Um, I miss them very much, you know, seeing them in person. I, I, I don't presume that any of my students miss seeing me, frankly. Um, but, you know, it's been interesting because I still get a lot more in the way of appointments and everything. And I, think, yeah. uh, I feel like students feel that, you know, their professors might be a lot more accessible mm -hmm. um, in this format. Um, and I think they're a lot more comfortable with it. I feel like sometimes, you know, for office hours, they have to go to some place that feels maybe not quite welcoming, maybe a little bit foreboding. Um, and you're meeting the professor sort of on their space and sort mm -hmm. of like in their, you know, sort of sanctum. And, you know, what's interesting about doing everything online is that in some ways it feels like it equals the playing field in a way. Like everyone sort of meets in this sort of neutral ground and here we that are. That is a great point. That's absolutely true. You're not the professor in front of this whole thing. And plus, I mean, I dress up when I do my classes in Zoom, but at least from the top, <laughs> I wear no <Yeah>. shirt. <laughs> I'm like that commercial where the guy goes for his coffee. But um, there is some informality about it that does create this kind of more approachableness of the faculty. I think that's true. All right. So, so you raised some amazing points. I mean, one is that we probably will not be as traditionally Socratic once we get back into the classroom. And another is that um, this idea that we're engendering even more accessibility to our profess to the to professors. So let's take us uh, hopefully to the next fall semester. Let's assume we get this vaccine and how are you going to be different? I know. God willing. How are you going to be different in the fall than you are, say, this, this, this is fall, next fall? I, I think using more in the way of varying types of assessments is something that, you know, I'm really excited about. Mm -hmm. And this is something that, I'll be honest, I, I hadn't really considered that much beforehand because at least at NIU we're required to give students a midterm and a final. And I was like, okay, well, those are all the assessment tools I need, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's the way that I felt at one point. And it's nice being able to check in with my students more. It's nice to being able to give them shorter assignments such that they feel like they have more practice writing. And it's nice giving them, um, you know, more manageable, smaller chunks of work throughout the semester, such that they actually feel like, okay, you know, I actually have something to go and talk to Professor Romero about, maybe I should schedule office hours. And I feel like I get to know my, um, my students a lot better that way. Yeah. So that's certainly something that I think I'm going to improve on greatly. Um, something else that's been really nice too in that, you know, we've all sort of adapted to, you know, get these capabilities up and running is um, it, it's been great with regard to getting guest speakers to come and talk to classes. Yeah. Which, you know, I feel like not everyone really had their Zoom sort of account set up and didn't know how to use these tools. So that seemed a bit more difficult logistically before. Um, I think a lot of our schools have had to, you know, 
I hate using this word, but pivot pretty quickly when it comes mm-hmm. to um, having these capabilities now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody that I know of um, seems to invite, you know, guest speakers, like, you know, other attorneys or other professors to come and drop in, maybe present a paper to their students or something like that. So that's certainly something that I intend to keep doing because, it, you know, it, it's been nice being able to expose my students to, um, you know, other teaching styles and other people who might have interesting things to share with them right. rather than just seeing me at the front of the classroom every single day. Um, so I think that that's going to be certainly be something that I keep doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that my students are going to really keep enjoying that. Um, Another really fun thing that I did at the very beginning of um, my crim law course this year was actually start started off with a week talking about um, COVID and criminal justice and COVID and criminal legal system reform. Mm-hmm. Um, so we looked at different cases with regard to you know enforcement of public health regulations. Should that be criminal? Should that not be? Um, looking at specific examples from different cities around the country. But then I also had um, some students actually zoom in, um, third year students, who are part of a, a COVID clinic that NIU has got going right oh, now. Oh, wow. Um, and they were able to talk about um, the effects of the pandemic in our Illinois prisons hmm. and actually present, okay, this is what it's doing right now in the moment and here's what we're trying to do you know in the NIU COVID clinic so I I feel like even having the ability to involve upper level students in um, you know the 1L curriculum and everything I felt like I was much more easily able to do that and it was really fascinating and my students were so excited like okay this could be us in two years you know that is I (laughs) I never even thought about that but you know you're right first of all it's so much easier to zoom someone in than bring them into the classroom interrupt the classroom but that's a great idea. I should. I never thought about. I'm going to take that idea and and run with it too, and have some upper level students. That's a great idea. Uh, do you think that the ABA is going to relax the rules on how many distance learning credits one can have once the pandemic is completely over? I really think that they've got to at this point, and I really think that um, you know uh, I know that at NIU and at a number of other schools, um, we've been wrestling with okay, how do we actually get a sort of online program together? Um, mm-hmm. And how do we start getting this rolling? Because I, I think that that's really the future of legal education. I'm sorry, everyone who doesn't want to hear that, but I think <laughs> that that's where we're going. And that the pandemic has pushed us, pushed us to that a lot more quickly than even we were before. Mm-hmm. And so I really do envision that, you know, the ABA is going to have to be sort of confronted with the fact that, hey, this has happened. We've all moved online. And, you know, there have been some hiccups along the road, but I think that, you know, most, if not all law schools are still offering quality, you know, education um, to their students. And that, you know, contrary to what I think the ABA really envisioned, you know, we're still here and not everything has burnt up and, you know, been a disaster. Um, And, you know, I think that now that we've been able to do it, um, they're going to feel a lot more pressure to allow some variances and maybe relax some of those rules. Um, right. I think it's frankly a really good thing for, you know, all of our different varying institutions, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I really hope that um, with that relaxation of those rules, you know, we'll be able to serve a greater variety of students, perhaps, you know, students who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford going to law school or have been historically underrepresented in law school might feel um, a bit more able to um, join our classes. Um, but perhaps there might even be the chance for more cooperation between schools. Um, I, you know, you see some examples of different schools teaming up to have um, classes team taught. And oh, wow. Students I mean, that's even cool. in, in, in 
engaging with each other from different schools in the same classes and everything. So I think there might be more of an opportunity to do that. So mm -hmm. um, I think that there are really exciting things that we could potentially do if the ABA relaxes those rules. And I think that given this is that this has happened the way it has, they're going to feel a lot more pressure to do it. You know, and, and again, and I, I, we talked about this a little bit before, but you know, I, there was there were about probably 25 years ago, there was something called the McCrate Report, which suggested we teach skills in first year teaching. And that was like a shocker, astounding. Mm -hmm. And really, it has been very difficult for, for the academy, the academy to figure out how to shake it up a little bit. And I think, you know, you, you raise all the issues. And so I think one of the things we can take away from this is that the, pan the, the pandemic is actually in the smallest of senses, because there's nothing very good about it. One of the, if we could see a glimmer of light, it's about this idea of all these different exercises you're bringing to the classroom. And I'm sure, you know, that others are too, that, that are really kind of invigorating the traditional, you know, what happened in Garrett versus Daly kind of situation. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to chat about one more thing, because you talked about hiring and you talked about hiring from faculty and for those of you who don't understand, there was something that was actually where you, the American Association of Law Schools would gather everybody in Washington, D.C., and it was a little like speed dating where faculty would sit in a room and the um, applicants would go from room to room interviewing. Um, but I also think there's an issue for hiring non-faculty. So I guess I'm asking how you think the pandemic is going to affect hiring. Is it going to obliterate that? It was the first interview never going to be in person? I mean, what do you think? I, I think that perhaps what you're going to see is you're going to see a lot more of this happening online, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'm not necessarily sure that that's a bad thing, um, especially in the context of faculty hiring um, and talking about that system that you were talking, you know, rela relating to your listeners in Washington, D.C., um, there'd be the FAR conference, the meat market. Right. And frankly, the meat market is expensive. It's pricey. Yes. Yes. Um, and unless you're maybe at some very select elite um, sort of VAPs or VAP programs or something like that, mm -hmm. you're having to pay for that yourself. You know, you might need to fly yourself out to D.C., pay for your own hotel in D.C. And it's rather a barrier, honestly, um, to, you know, certain applicants who might not be able to afford doing that. Um, and I remember by the way, and not to interrupt, but also yeah. it's expensive for the schools. I it mean, is. And there's this pressure that if you don't go, you're sending the signal that you can't afford to go. So you actually... I thought you were going to go, you were going to say it's expensive for schools. I didn't, hadn't even thought about the applicants, but anyway, yes. I didn't yeah. It, so it's expensive for everyone, frankly. Mm -hmm. I, I remember having to do it and really having to shell out a lot of money up front and, mm -hmm. you know, hoping that something worked out and thank goodness it did. Um, but it's also expensive for schools. So, you know, some schools, of course, you know, it's a drop in the bucket for them, depending on how well resourced they are. But, you know, for schools like mine, you know, public institutions and everything, it's expensive. Yeah. And there is that pressure to go. Um, so, you know, this might be a, a sort of resource saving measure for everyone being able to meet on Zoom and not necessarily having to go through the stresses of traveling um, and having to fly around the country and everything, which, mm -hmm. you know, could actually be a good thing in some ways. It could actually be a lot more, um, it could really take the pressure off of those who might not be able to afford it and schools who might not be able to afford it either. Um, so that's really, you know, a potential positive. And I think that that might also be true when it comes to just hiring in general, you know, hiring for our students and everything. What you're going to see, I think, is you're not, maybe not going to see the same sort of, sort of restrictive timeline on things anymore. Right. Um, and, you know, that could be a lot more chaotic, I think, mm -hmm. in a way, and hard mm -hmm. to predict. Um, but, you know, sometimes um, shaking things up and having things be a bit more chaotic can actually um, be a plus for, um, 
for some, for those who might not be um, relying on sort of that um, very um, systematized way of doing things. Right, right. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that shapes up. Yeah, I, I and you know, again, th- this idea that finances should be a bar for who could even interview. I mean, now I think it'll open up the pool to a lot more interesting people, a lot more diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that that's a really good point. And, and, and it's true, you know, from, from what you're saying, when you think about it, and again, I have, I'm a little older, I have a little more perspective. Everything's been done kind of the same way forever. Everything's been Socratic. You always interview it after the, the first, second semester for what you're going to do in the spring, in the following summer. And what the pandemic has done for us um, to your point is it's shaken it up. And I think that you have made some really good insights about how it's, it's improved our experiences in the classroom, how it's improved accessibility of students to someone other than just their professor, how it's improved the ability of students to access their faculty and how it's improved the idea of more access to hiring. So I guess what Zoom has forced us, I mean, what the pandemic has forced us to do is <laughs> learn how to use Zoom, which is so much better than like a phone interview. Um, Anything else you want to add? I, I really do think that, you know, a lot of us are still, you know, I think very understandably stressed about um, having everything be online. And we miss, you know, anyone who's a student who's listening, especially, um, you should know that all of, all of us um, law professors, we miss you fiercely. Right? Yes. Yes. And, you know, it, it aggrieves us not, not to be able to see you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there are really interesting um, things that we can do in this format that I think we're learning from. Um, and I do think that this isn't all a bad thing. And I think sometimes, you know, what we do is it's easy to focus on the things that are wrong and the things that are different. But I think that we all should view this as an opportunity to learn how to do things uh, in a new fashion and learn how to do things in different ways that might actually be better for um, a greater variety of learning styles and, um, and you know, and, and to the benefit of, you know, perhaps um, a more diverse student body and, um, you know, sort of a more um, diverse audience in future. So I, th- I think this is something that, you know, we should be excited about, um, even though we might miss being able to be in person together. Well, thank you. You're right. I agree. I mean, your enthusiasm about it is refreshing. And when everyone is listening to this, that it's it'll be a good antidote to kind of the <laughs> angst of online learning. And it's true. I mean, you do, you bring such a positive spin to it and there are some positives to be thought of, to be mined from it. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. This has been, I've learned, I, you know, I'm going to have now 30 years come to my classroom. I'm going to do more assessments, which is so much better for the students because they know where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really appreciate your insights. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Leslie. Thank you. So that's my discussion with Professor Mabel Romero. If you have a topic you'd like us to address or a professor with whom you'd like us to speak, shoot us an email at lawdefact at gmail.com. That's it for now. As you head into finals, we wish you the best of luck and remind you that all of our episodes are available for free at www.lawdefact.com. Have a great day, best of luck on finals, and most importantly, stay healthy.